the case regarding Roe versus Wade is now in. Mm -hmm. All right, so this is, the, this is the case that involves Roe v. Wade established 49 years ago. The decision is out. It's been issued by Justice Alito and Roe v. Wade, according to our reports from the U.S. Supreme Court and our own Shannon Bream, is that Roe v. Wade has been overturned mm -hmm. and the question of abortion has been returned to the states. Welcome back to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It is my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Of course, he's the editor of Culture Wars Magazine, the author of several books, including Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality, and the recently released second edition of The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and its Impact on World History. Uh, anytime, the book on art. <laughs> it was supposed to be shipped today, but we're still waiting for confirmation of that fact. Okay, and, and the title for that book again, I'm sorry? It's called The Dangers of Beauty, the conflict between uh, concupiscence, mimesis and concupiscence in the fine arts. Excellent. So, well, uh, tonight, uh, had you uh, back on, of course, we can talk about this um, reversal of Roe versus Wade and the Casey decision, the end of abortion as a constitutional right in the United States. It's remanded back to the states. Uh, uh, no immediate change, really. Man, there's some trigger laws that are being impacted, but really the geography of abortion isn't really going to change much. Infanticide in California, New York, and maybe Illinois, more regulated throughout the various states. Um, also, I want to have you uh, get your take on so this January 6th show trial and sort of the, um, I guess you could say, the attempt by the Democrats to criminalize political dissent and how the regime is supporting, encouraging anarcho tyranny, you know, not doing, you know, almost encouraging a crime wave or not doing anything about it. We had, we've had a couple, we've had that, uh, I guess, recall of uh, Chase Abaudin, uh the uh, child of ter Jewish terrorist. He was the prosecutor in San Francisco that was recalled. And I think Gascon might be facing a recall attempt. These Soros DAs have really made an impact on the country, unfortunately. So first, um, Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court has uh, said it was a bad decision and it's been reversed. And now it's, we're, at, we're at a status quo ante, 1973, although a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of blood, blood has flown, uh, flowed rather. And so the collateral damage is immense. So where are we now with this? 
Uh, well, I think that the, the main collateral damage is uh, contempt for the rule of law. Mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing across the country now. There are uh, 100, uh, more than 100 Soros prosecutors who now say they're not going to prosecute. Well, they're not going to follow the law. Well, wait a minute, who's going to follow it then? These are the chief law enforcement agents in cities across the country, and they said they're not going to follow the law. Well, didn't they take an oath to enforce the law? Don't you take an oath to do that? And now they're not going to do that? So who's going, who's going to get rid of them? Commissars don't here? commissars don't take oaths, do they? Well, that, no, that's <laughs> that's the point that I'm trying to get to here. Yeah. So the legacy of Roe versus Wade is basically the whole idea of equality before the law was abolished. So now, after Roe versus Wade, there are two categories. It used to be one, now there are two. And one category is the fetus. And the fetus has no rights whatsoever, not even the most basic right, which is the right to life. And on the other side, you have a group of people, uh, you could call them the uh, aborting mother. Uh, and these people are not only uh, have rights, they have privilege. They have the privilege, they have the, the privilege to, you can't have a right to do this, but they have the privilege to, turn, to kill another person. Uh, and it's becoming uh, very clear now that this is Jewish privilege, uh, that it was basically the Jews who gave us abortion. Uh, Bernard Nathanson made that clear in his memoir uh, when he talked about this arising basically in New York City. It was concocted in New York City. Uh, he got together with a man by the name of Lawrence Later. They were going to discuss James Joyce, the Irish writer, and the con the uh, the uh, conversation turned to abortion. Uh, we're talking about the late 60s right now. And they decided they're going to do something, and they had powerful allies on their side, the most powerful being the New York Times, which was also in the business of basically confecting other uh, projects at the time. Uh, this is a time when the civil rights movement collapsed, and so the Jewish support shifted from the Martin Luther King to the state of Israel. It's also the time that the Holocaust narrative came into being in a serious fashion. And I'm talking about the book, uh, Yeshi Kosinski's book, The Painted Bird, which became a bestseller, one of the best, biggest sellers of 19, I believe it's 1967. This is the era that we're talking about now. And so you're seeing the rise, basically, of Jewish power at this point. So the, the net result is uh, you are now, as an American citizen, you fall into either one of two categories. You're either a mother or a fetus. If you're a mother, you have Jewish privilege. If you're a fetus, you have no rights whatsoever. And so the, what happens then after that is the government tries to maneuver you into uh, uh, the category where you have no rights. If they can maneuver you into that category, then uh, they win the battle. So it was, wasn't just the fetus, suddenly it gets expanded uh, to include other undesirable groups. So the first example I could give was the, uh, the white boys who showed up at Charlottesville. Uh, it's not a crime to be white, although uh, it looks as if it's heading in that direction. Um, but uh, they they mistakenly assembled there. They asked for a permit uh, to do this. They assembled there uh, because they felt they had uh, the rights guaranteed them by the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, First Amendment, 
right to free speech, right to assemble. Turns out that that's wrong. It's wrong because of Roe versus Wade. What they didn't understand is that white is the same term as fetus. And if you're a fetus, you have no rights whatsoever. And then you can expand that, bring that forward even a little bit further. And you have the January 6th so-called insurrection, which is a complete category of the mind confected by the media and the Justice Department to basically uh, demonize Trump supporters and Uh, deprives them of the rights. They were deprived of the right because of the label had been applied to them. Uh, uh, the label is insurrection. And as soon as that was applied, the Trump supporters who came there to protest what they felt was a stolen election were suddenly in the category of fetus. And once you're in that category, you have no rights. And so they're being treated as if they have no rights. This is the, this is the, the, the long term term legacy of versus have quality before the being replaced groups who are now enforcing the privilege of these groups and I'm talking about the Soros prosecutors who now say they're not going to enforce Roe versus Wade uh, if you're a part of these privilege you, uh, if you're Antifa you have Jewish privilege you can burn down the city after the George Floyd uh, thing and they'll call it the media will call it peaceful protest uh, this is the situation yeah, I think it was Michigan's Attorney General, Danny Nessel, who uh, uh, earlier had said that it's great, you should, you know, all schools should have drag queens in them because it's fun. And she came out recently and said she wouldn't uh, enforce any, I guess, pro prohibitions or restrictions on abortion. Just, you know, I guess not feeling obligated yes. to follow any laws. She... <laughs> yeah, well, who's Chris Custodia Ipsos Custodes? Who's going to uh, who's going to be the guardian of the people who are supposed to be the guardians? Who's going to enforce the law against the law enforcement? We we have reached the, the point where law enforcement now, certainly under Merrick Garland, is a weapon to be used against political opponents. Mm -hmm. Again, we we see the same strategy uh, in place here. Dana Nessel was put in to office with Soros money. She's the the local the she's the state equivalent of a, the district attorney. Attorney General for the state of Michigan. She was recently involved in a plot against the people of Michigan, uh, a, a plot she concocted with the FBI, uh, claiming that uh, there were a group of people who were going to, a group of people in Michigan were going to kidnap the governor, row her out to the middle of Lake Michigan and hold her hostage until they came up with uh, $57.43 in uh, ransom money. <laughs> or maybe it was more. I don't know. So, so that case uh, is not the first time that the FBI has gone to war against the people of Michigan involving one of their usual entrapment schemes. The first one was called the Hootery. Nobody remembers that, but that was six guys from a trailer park with a 122 rifle and three bullets. And uh, it turns out that they didn't have the rifle because the guy, the main plotter, his mother took it away from him. Now, the only reason they were considered serious is because uh, the FBI showed up. There were an uh, equal number of FBI agents who were supplying them with, uh, you know, uh, uh, serious weapons and bombs and so on and so forth. That case collapsed immediately. As soon as it went to trial, it collapsed as an entrapment case. Same thing is happening now with Dana Nessel's 
uh, conspiracy with the FBI. It's collapsing as entrapment. The two of them had two of them pled uh, guilty to a lesser charge just to get rid of the thing. Yeah, and of course we see this double standard uh, at work now. Uh, I think in the wake of the uh, Supreme Court's decision on Roe, there was a mob that attacked the Arizona legislature. And no one called them insurrectionists. And as I'm not aware of any investigation in arresting those participating in that riot uh, in front of the legislature, disrupting a a governmental, uh, you know, I guess, uh, uh, procedure. This is something that the um, again that the January 6th people are accused of doing. You had the uh, that incident with Stephen Colbert, the alleged comedian, who sent in a troop of uh, I guess of uh, (laughs) performers to. To interrupt Congress, to uh, uh, to uh, I guess to uh, mock or, or disrupt the activities of was it Boebert of Colorado, the Republican Congresswoman from Colorado, but they entered illegally with the aid of Adam Schiff and a couple other Congress Congress critters, and the, at, those people are not being held in solitary confinement. They're not being called insurrectionists. They're allowed to go home. I doubt they're serving a day in jail. Um, we also have this uh, spectacle. Well, we have uh, the violence, of course, the you know, the month of rage, because uh, we, we got a teaser with the uh, with the uh, with the uh, Dodd Dodd versus Jackson decision uh, when that leaked memo uh, came out, and you know, give us a hint of what how the court was going to going to go on this, and we had groups uh, like Jane's Revenge or Ruth sent us threatening to break the law. To uh, all, there's all types of um, reports of um, well, many reports. Of uh, of uh, crisis pregnancy uh, uh, centers being uh, vandalized, attacked, churches being attacked, but there is, and this is interstate. And Merrick Garland's DOJ doesn't seem very interested in in in, the, in these crimes. He's more willing to go after parents complaining at the school board about critical race theory, or the state of education, or the COVID restrictions, or the fact that the uh, you know, LGBTQ plus IA ideology is being promoted in the schools, or this drag queen story hour. If you complain about that, you may indeed be a terrorist. But if you burn a church down or throw a Molotov cocktail at a crisis pregnancy center, that's okay. That's just passionate. That's a, a mostly peaceful protest because Merrick Garland, as he said, agree thinks that abortion is a right, as if that matters. You know, so yeah. So the the what the law is has become completely irrelevant. It's what the powerful want. It's it's whether uh, whether you have Jewish privilege. Uh, well, actually, one of the most significant uh, changes that has taken place in the 49-year-old long-year uh, abortion wars is the, the attitude towards the, the Jews uh, have, have suddenly come out uh, all over the place and said that... Uh, Abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. And then they go on to say there's actually a court case going through the system in Florida where uh, saying that if if uh, the government prevents abortion, they are denying the Jews the right to practice their religion. Now, <laughs> so I tweet uh, <laughs> abortion is a Jewish sacrament. And I got all these outraged Jews complaining about me. I said, look, your, your quarrel is not with me. I mean, okay, I used a Catholic word. You're right. The Jews have no sacraments. Only the Catholic Church has sacraments. But if they did, abortion would be one of them. It's obvious. It's obvious that this is a ritual, uh, has become a ritual, a sacred ritual to these people. And then that leads me to start thinking about the the, uh, historical context and uh, exactly who are these people? 
it sounds to me as if they are the descendants of the Moloch worshipers that we heard so much about in the Old Testament. The Jews forever had problems maintaining their covenant with God. They were the chosen people. They no, no sooner did they get out of bondage in Egypt and they immediately revert to idol worship. Now, this idol worship is not some type of vague fantasy. There was uh, an actual god called Moloch, and the way you worshiped Moloch was to child sacrifice. You gave your children, and then he gave you worldly riches and so on and so forth in return. So I'm seeing here a direct connection, uh, uh, theological, because you always have to deal with the Jews in theological terms, between these Moloch worshipers and the people who are uh, in favor of abortion. This, this is so so it turns out that what they're saying is the exact opposite of what is true. Yeah, and you saw that uh, uh, being played out, uh, I guess, uh, in reality or an example of this of that view would be Janet Yellen's testimony. Uh, she's a sec Treasury secretary. Uh, uh, she, uh, I guess, decided to uh, add her two cents worth regarding the abortion issue in May. And she said that abortion is actually good for the economy because it enables women to seek employment opportunities that they might otherwise not have if they had the burden of childcare. And so there you go, There's, so they can increase their income and status in society. So there is our system rewarding, allegedly rewarding these women with, with worldly uh, treasures if they sac do indeed sacrifice their children. That's right. Yeah. And on top of that, it's a colossally stupid statement from an economical point of view. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> uh, uh, wait a minute. Those people, uh, did you remain a child forever, Janet? <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> uh, didn't you grow up? <laughs> didn't you grow up and become, uh, don't these children grow up and become uh, productive members of society because of the work they do? Isn't labor the source of all value? Where does labor come from if it doesn't come from human beings? And if you're murdering human beings, uh, uh, where are we going to get our labor force? Well, they're finding at that right now with workforce participation being so low. Uh, that's actually aggravating the inflation problem because productivity, you know, they can print money out of nowhere. They can just create it in computers, but they can't print labor out of nowhere, right? That has to exist. I mean, and so now they're finding uh, – the, the, some people said that's part of the inflation problem is aggravated, not just by the government going crazy with the money printing, but with the shortage of labor, aggravated largely uh, by the people getting sick from the uh, so-called vaccine that's supposed to save right. us from the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had a conversation with one of the guys who works for me, and he said one-third of his generation was aborted. That's one third of the, the millennial generation is not there, mm -hmm. not there to take up their 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 jobs. Not this, this is a suicide cult. We the people who are running this country belong to a suicide cult. Yeah, it's almost like World War One in the trenches when you think that that generation that eighteen I guess would have been the eighteen not eighty eight eighteen ninety generation. How many of that generation died in the trenches? And the effect, and, of, yeah. And, and England never recovered. Never recovered, yeah. Never recovered. Yeah. That was the end of the British Empire. Britannia didn't rule the waves anymore. You've got various manifestations of the suicide cult. Uh, Israel now just liberalized its access to abortion. We'll show you. We'll show you, the Israelis say, and uh, somewhere Adolf Hitler is smiling <laughs> because the Israelis are killing uh, little Jews. OK, but I don't know what they, they're blinded by their their suicide cult. The other suicide cult is Germany. 
which seems also determined to follow to implement the Morgenthau plan and and destroy Germany. So they're they're all all over the place. Uh, it just seems to be proliferating. I don't know. It's a sign of the the end times. Things can't go on this way. Yeah. Uh, now you do have a situation now where. Okay, so uh, it's going to go back to the states, uh, the uh, the abortion uh, question, uh, where I I think constitutionally, perhaps that's where it should should reside. Now, I always thought the Fourteenth Amendment, if you if you're going to invoke the Fourteenth Amendment in such matters, it could be construed to protect unborn rather than kill unborn, because you could make the much better argument that the Fourteenth Amendment could be expanded to protect unborn life. Uh, and these things, so it's one of these things where they use it to, uh, you know, the pun numbers of the emanations. That's what, the, yeah, the sort of it's just there somewhere, you know. Um, but it, one of the things was, was Clarence Thomas uh, in his concurring opinion, in the majority opinion in in this decision, was uh, bringing into question the whole the, the broader issue of um, of of, 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 of um, substantive due process. Right. Versus a procedural due process, how this can be the logic of this decision. And although the other judges said, no, 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 uh, I think Kavanaugh and Thomas kind of uh, suggested this could be used to overturn Obergefell and also the I think it was uh, the uh, the Texas case regarding sodomy, meaning there right. is no substantive due process. These aren't matters of fundamental rights or law. So therefore, the states can indeed regulate these things. And of course, there is no 14th Amendment right to gay marriage. That's just absurd. But so it does, it does open, basically it, it opens up uh, an avenue to overturn some of these other hard, hard decisions that the, that the Supreme Court has, has given us over, the, over the, so many decades. Yeah, I mean, substantive, substantive due process is another word for social engineering. And it was one of the main ways that the oligarchs uh, imposed their will on the majority of the people. No one in America ever voted for abortion. No one ever voted for gay marriage, unlike uh, countries like Ireland, where I've been I've been talking to Jim O'Doherty there about the, the horrendous situation over, situation over there. This was imposed on people who felt that they knew better, that th- they had a goal in mind. It goes, I think it goes all the way back to the Black Douglas clique those two people in the Warren court that gave us uh, gave us uh, the uh, Griswold anti uh, the, the law striking down the sale of contraceptives, they knew what they wanted, and so you just make up uh, the uh, after the fact the legal uh, the legal uh, uh, what, whatever the wording to basically give you what you want, and you make up things like uh, emanation from a penumbra, which is preposterous. Uh, and you make up things like the uh, the uh, Kennedy mystery clause in the Casey decision. Mm-hmm. All of these things, what do all of these things have in common? The, the common denominator here is the truth is the opinion of the powerful. That's what it is. And so you can say whatever you want, no matter how absurd. And if you have the backing of some type of powerful institution like the New York Times, it's true. And this is the essence of Jewish privilege, okay? If 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 you say it uh, uh, and you're powerful, it is true. Well, it worked for a while. I mean, 49 years is a significant amount of time, but eventually, it's not true. It's just not true. I mean, I, I was uh, uh, I I mentioned this in an article, but I w- I was went over to Notre Dame to cover Eleanor Schmiel, uh, who was giving a talk about abortion. Uh, she was head of the National Organization of Women, and she finished her talk, and I said, 
uh, does the fetus have sex? Uh, she didn't know what I was saying. So I said, well, is it recognizable as male or female? Is the fetus either male or female? And then she said, the process of sexual uh, individuation starts at birth. I'm thinking, I think, oh, well, that's interesting. Did, did any of the obstetricians notice this? Is anyone in the biology department here at Notre Dame going to back that statement up? So I started to write it down, and she says, don't write that down. You got me crazy. Oh, wait a minute. What, what's going on here? This, has, this is a preposterous claim. Uh, she can make it. It because there's this powerful organization called the National Organization of Women made up of uh, women who are uh, guilt-ridden because of the abortions they had are now mobilized by the Democratic Party to be a power in getting people out to vote. And she said it, so therefore it's true. Well, it turns out it doesn't work that way. It's very similar to what's happening in Ukraine right now. You remember how the Ukraine was winning all the time, you know? The uh, the what was that the the ghost of Kiev? He shot down forty planes uh, in five minutes. Well, it turns out he didn't, and it turns out they're not winning. And it turns out that this is a another fantasy concocted by people who think that truth is the opinion of the powerful that is being disproven by categories of reality over which they have no control. And that is, I think, the story of consciousness. That's the story of what's happening now. And this overreach, this imperial overreach is over. It's going back to the states. We're going to have uh, uh, Christy Nome of uh, North Dakota said, yes, we're going to prosecute uh, people who get abortions. Any abortionists here will be prosecuted, which is the opposite now of what uh, people like Larry Krasner of Philadelphia are saying, which is basically, we don't care what the law is. We're not going to enforce any laws here. And so you have this division all coming about because of the bad law that you passed 49 years ago. And now we have to live with the consequences of this. Yeah. The um, Now, with uh, you say the portions of, of narrative and uh, in this and controlling this public perception of, of reality. And we, we saw in the, in the course with the January 6th committee hearings, uh, it, it, it's spun or described as a insurrectionist white white supremacist insurrection. <laughs> I don't know where they get that from. Even Joe Biden said, said that. But uh, it's interesting because in the opening remarks, I think it was the chairman, Benny Thompson, uh, from uh, for, forget Louisiana or Mississippi, I forget. But he immediately starts talking about that he's black, and he starts talking about the Klan and slavery, <laughs> as if there's anything to do with uh, the events on on January 6. But nevertheless, that's an attempt to go get spin the narrative, make it uh, you know uh, make it a racial issue when it indeed was not. And again, then and then again, label these people as again as non-citizens because they have no rights if you are a white supremacist, right? Right. Um, yeah. Right. You impose the whole point of this type of cultural battle is to impose categories of the mind on your opponent. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you succeed, this, we saw this with uh, Canada, with the trucker convoy. The truckers were came from Western Canada. They were upset about the COVID regulations and the, it was uh, inhibiting their ability to earn a living. So what does Justin Trudeau do? Does he sit down with them and say, well, we're all fellow Canadians here. We can all get together and we'll just figure it out. So obviously, COVID is not going to last forever. So we'll talk about how it's going to end and everyone will be happy. Did he do that? No. 
he immediately uh, saw his own people, the people of Canada, as his enemy, and then he imposed a category of the minor and called them Nazis, called yes. them white supremacists. Well, as soon as you become a white supremacist or a Nazi, you become a fetus. And as soon as you become a fetus, you have no rights whatsoever. You don't even have the right to life. And then they acted on that principle. The same way with that lady who said, uh, honk, honk equals Heil Hitler. <laughs> why, why, why are people like this taken seriously? Well, because truth is the opinion of the powerful, damn it. And the newspapers, which, by the way, have all been bought off by the government in Canada, they are all subsidiaries of government funding. They agree with this and they take these people seriously. And so you have a catastrophe there. Yeah. Well, one thing that was funny is, is I just read a headline the other day. Trudeau uh, warns that loss of abortion rights could could lead to loss of other rights. This is Trudeau, the same Trudeau that locked his country down, <laughs> is warning us of our loss of rights. Oh, took, how long is this <laughs> absurdity going to go on here? Yeah. I mean, this is so out of contact with reality. Or the lieutenant governor of California uh, calling Clarence Thomas, what, I, I guess, equating him to some sort of Islamic radical or something, Shia radical because of his decision, but she uh, accuses him of that, and, and, and she invokes bodily autonomy when just a few months ago she was uh, forcing injecting people with experimental gene therapy drug. I mean, yeah. so there, here's here's another interesting thing, like this attack. Samuel Jackson attacks mm -hmm. uh, 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 Clarence Thomas, calls him uh, didn't call him this, but Uncle Tom calls him Uncle Clarence. And then Whoopi Goldberg joins in. Uh, so, uh, and then we have uh, 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 Lori Lightfoot joining in. Now, the, all these black people are attacking fellow black man, uh, Clarence Thomas. What's going on here? What's going on here is that race is absolutely meaningless here. I've been saying this for years. Uh, the white boys always get their knickers in a twist when I talk this way. But the, the fact of the matter is it's not. Clarence Thomas' skin color that's the big issue here. It's his Catholicism. He's a Catholic. Well, then uh, Samuel Jackson, Lori Lightfoot, uh, and all uh, Whoopi Goldberg are simply following their Jewish masters, right? Yeah. I mean, why do you think her name is Whoopi Goldberg? You think <laughs> she was born that way? She took that name because when the, t the agents go over the list, hey, we got a Jew here. We'll hire her. It's ridiculous. So, so uh, this again shows you that the fault lines here, the ethnic fault lines in America are religious. Well, it's the same like that thing down St. Louis with Louis the Ninth statue. It was a Jewish black cop. They just got the blacks to show up. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's they, right. And, and, yeah. and, and, the, and the guy who, who, uh, 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 who claimed to be black was white, actually. <laughs> well, why not? And he called, him, called himself a Muslim. So, I mean, if, if a man could call himself a woman, why can't a white person say he's black? He talked black. He sounded black when he talked. But uh, the, again, what was – so you're right. The fault lines there were religious and ethnic, but the battle was over the category of the mind or the label that got imposed on the people. So Omar Lee, the first thing he does is says it's white supremacists who are defending Louis IX. I didn't know Louis IX was a white supremacist. I, he didn't even know he was white, did he? I mean what, – when did when did when did he when did the idea ever occur to people that they were white? Certainly not in France in the 13th century. I guarantee you that. Well, if he had been born 500 or 600 years later, he would have been a clan clansman. <laughs> yeah, this is a type of absurdity.
that is going on here. There's got to there's got to be a course correction here. Well, Someone's got to step in here, uh, and uh, we're all yeah. hoping that uh, the elections in the fall will uh, bring about this course correction. I saw an article saying that a million Democrats have registered now as Republicans. Well, it's hard to worry about you know I guess uh, your uh, a right to abort your child when you're paying six dollars a gallon for gasoline. Right. I mean, that's that's maybe that's why, uh, you know, they're trying to make an issue out of it, trying to mobilize the base. I don't think there's an, uh, as much passion, at least among normal people, for infanticide as the Democratic Party, the media, uh, you know, uh, like to portray. Uh, a lot of the, this uh, uh, supposed nights of rage or something didn't really happen. You've had a few protests, in, but you can always uh, muster a few, uh, you know, miscreants to, to stage a protest anywhere in the country now. Cause, yeah, and but, then play, play the, it up in the media. Yeah, then there's enough, I mean, crazy women, cucked men, and see who will show up because the past, you know, what they've done to the college for the past 60 years, you know, with, you know, they're, they're literally, they're grooming, uh, they're destroying families and grooming the, the children of these disrupted families to become homosexual and transgender people in the schools. So yeah, they can, you can really screw a generation up or a couple of generations if you're dedicated to doing that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the problem is that the government has been dedicated to doing this. It's called social engineering. And, and basically it began uh, with World War II, when you have 11 million men being subjected to the most ruthless form of social engineering, which is called military service. And then when they come back and then there's just uh, another form of uh, social uh, social engineering imposed on them with the destruction of ethnic neighborhoods and the promotion of sexual liberation. And so they're weakened. And then the next generation comes along, my generation, the baby boomer generation. And it gets worse. It gets more intense. So, you know, uh, once uh, the, the anti-war movement started, the CIA got involved and uh, started to, they had already gotten involved with MKUltra, which is experimenting with LSD. Well, let's feed it to those teenagers. What, what could go wrong here? You know, and they did. And basically, he, he, the, the, man, the, the man, the evil genius behind this whole thing was Aldous Huxley. And he wrote Brave New World. It came out in 1932. And that was the future, uh, according to certain group of people. And he talked to a lot because he was part of the English aristocracy. His grandfather was T.H. Huxley, the man who created, who was called Darwin's Bulldog. And so he, he was in on the, these conversations and he comes up with this novel. Uh, and after the, the 25th anniversary of the publication of uh, Brave New World, he gave a speech in which he said, you know, I read 1984. I think my book is better because I think it's easier to control people with pleasure than it is with uh, force and pain. And he was referring to the Soviet Union at that time, which is what Orwell's book was about. And I think he was right. Uh, so he wanted to create a regime that would keep people docile and happy. That's Those are his words. And drugs were a part of it. Uh, and he went through the drugs, basically the uh, the barbiturates that were mother's little helper that the Rolling Stones sang about that uh, bored housewives were taking during this period of time. And then when the anti-war movement starts to rear its head, the uh, government gets involved with LSD uh, and it goes, you know, then we have Prozac and then we have uh, the final. I think everyone's settled on the drug now, which is marijuana. It's. It's not perfect, but it's the best uh, the best combination of what uh, Huxley felt was needed 
to keep people docile and happy. Uh, and what you've done is basically wreck an entire generation. I'm talking about my generation. Yeah, uh, isn't Trudeau like isn't Trudeau legalizing uh, 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 drugs in Canada at the same time? <laughs> He's imposing all, the, maintaining all these restrictions, and also that would, that taking would their make guns. perfect sense. Yeah. I'm, I, I just did an article. It will appear in the next issue of Culture Wars about uh, the mar marijuana decriminalization in Michigan. These are the people that elected. I talked to the guy who did it, so I, I got firsthand information who basically mobilized the drug dealers to support Dana Nessel. Mm -hmm. Well, Dana's not going to, uh, you know, they, they like brought about the legalization of this drug. This drug is now going to be a weapon that will be used against the people of Michigan and to she, keep them yeah. docile and happy. And she's an advocate of sexual revolution and drug use. So That's right. So, so, so uh, we, we know where she stands. Uh, the irony, okay, so I mentioned the plot. Uh, yeah, the, the uh, kidnapping plot that uh, Dana Nessel came up with, concocted with the FBI. So they, they're getting to the testimony in the trial. We're going through the usual stuff. Uh, yeah, the FBI gave him automatic weapons. And yeah, the FBI gave him uh, bombs. But the, the new wrinkle is the FBI is giving them marijuana, too. <laughs> <laughs> so the defense attorney says, you can't. You can't listen to what these guys are saying. They're all high on drugs. No, who cares what they're saying? You can't take it seriously. And it's the FBI that gave them drugs. This is the world we live in right now. This is how the government wages war on the people that it's supposed to represent. You can't elect a Jewish lesbian and expect her to represent normal people. It's not going to happen. She hates normal people. It's obvious from everything she says. She likes drag queens in every school. Yes. <laughs> Only someone who hated everything normal about sexuality and everything normal about the way people come into this world. Only someone like that could make a statement like that. Yeah, I was uh, a couple of weeks ago when the when Ryan Kelly, the gubernatorial candidate in Michigan, I think he's the leading. Republican contender, you know, to take on Whitmore was arrested by the FBI for committing the, the committing the, the uh, horrendous crime of showing up at the Capitol on January 6th. He's arrested, dragged out of his house, you know, put in jail for the night and charged with a misdemeanor conspiracy, whatever that is, by the FBI. Um, and at the same time, then I'm thinking, well, I start, I look, his, look up his family and he, I think he has six or seven children. And a, a wife who looks like she just recently has a small child, so she gave birth in the last year, and she has this big traditional-looking family, and said, "Well, that's why they hate this guy." <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are these more than are, his politics. I mean, that's I, that's metapolitical I, there. <laughs> I I hate to use this term, but these are Gestapo tactics. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I apologize to all the Gestapo out there. You know, this is horrendous. This is not what uh, uh, America is supposed to be. The police, uh, you know, that I talk to in South Bend say that it's their job to protect the people. No, that's not the that's not the way the FBI is being weaponized under Merrick Garland. They're going after the people. They're trying to destroy anyone who contests their narrative. And it's a crazy narrative and it's getting crazier by the day. Mm hmm.
And so it's becoming, the reaction is becoming more and more draconian, more and more out of contact with reality. Somebody, somebody's got to wake up here and get these people's hands off the steering wheel before they drive the car off the cliff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like they don't care about the optics anymore. <laughs> it's like optics not you gonna look like good drag queen story hour <laughs> yeah what, what about, you mean those optics now it looks so so i do a show uh about ireland and Gemma puts up uh the story of a drag queen who exposes his genitals to a bunch of children oh oh wait oh oh there's nothing wrong with that right so now it turns out that uh, a week later we got the same thing with uh, the gay pride parade in Los Angeles, where all these uh, men are riding around in front of children mm -hmm. on bicycles, exposing their genitals to children. Now, where is this going to stop? I mean, is there some type of limit here or, or simply or well, this is the principle here? We're going to transgress every limit. That is what we're about. That, that's the Jewish war, war on Logos. That's the homosexual and transgender war on uh, gender reality. That's what we're faced with. You have to, this is, these are people who have to be stopped because they have no internal sense of limit. The only limits they know are the ones they long to transgress. Uh, they're compelled to do this, and we can't let this go on any further. You, you're, you said in the article that you recently penned regarding the uh, reversal of Roe, the end of, end of uh, you know, of Roe, that um, this signals, uh, the beginning of the end of Jewish domination of culture. Is yeah, this the beginning of the end? I think so. I mean, some people are accusing me of wishful thinking, but I think that we're talking about not. It wasn't just Roe. I mentioned those other things that basically cemented the rise of Jewish power over all of us. Yeah, the Holocaust and narrative, which Holocaust which, which is narrative. only again only about fifty four years old, really. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. tra trace it back as far as you want, but it doesn't go back any farther than World War II, mm -hmm. okay, and the end of World War II. But we're talking about, uh, I'm saying that that, I mean, Ailey Wiesel's book came out in 1959, 58, around the same time the, of the attack on Pius XII. But I'm saying as a real mainstream phenomenon, mm -hmm. it was it was the New York Times and Yeshi Kaczynski. They they made that book. That had a huge effect on literature, a huge effect on literature. And and uh, I, I deal with this in the book that's going to come out, the, the Holocaust narrative book. But a man like uh, William Styron, OK, respected Southern author. Surface you know, choice, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But before that, it was uh, the Confessions of Nat Turner, which everybody thought was a serious book. At that point, he's he's friends with Yeshi Kaczynski. Oh, that's, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, they're friends. They hang out together. They come up to his house. He dismissed him later in life as a, a con man, but that's not the way he was talking back then. So Styron's looking around. All you have to do is read Sophie's Choice. There's a, Jew, a Jew, uh, Jewish character, Nathan, in there, who tells the Southern character, which is obviously Styron, uh, that uh, Southern fiction is a busted flush. It's over. You have to get on and do Jewish fiction. Well, of course, that's what he does. That's what Sophie's Choice is. He basically took took the advice. He wrote his Holocaust novel, and then he sank into depression and never wrote another thing for the rest of his life. So what he did was bring about the demise of fiction, because this this is the pen club. Uh, this was a battle 
over reality. Because Yeshi Kaczynski sold that book to the public as a memoir. Okay, that he as a little boy, first of all, all Holocaust narratives are little boys. It's like Ailey Wiesel's book, a lot of it. After that, it's like little uh, children experiencing this thing, which gives you got a leeway mm-hmm. in terms of uh, veracity. So anyway, he's it's the God's honest truth. And then there are people uh, who upset, like the Poles are upset because basically the Poles are the villain of this book. And they start looking into it and they start to realize, no, no, wait a minute. There's, there's something wrong here. There's something wrong here. And so it comes down to a battle over the truth. Of the of the book, is it true or not? The only reason people come seriously is because they thought it was a memoir and because it was true, and uh, it turns out that he made it up. He made it up. Okay, now the, we come here to a crucial turning point. The crucial turn. So he becomes famous. He becomes the head of Pen, P, uh, whatever that writers' organization stands for, poets, essayists, and novelists. Uh, which is the writers, big, you know, that's the Writers Guild in America. He becomes the president. And then it turns out, first of all, not only did he make it up, make up the story, because he wasn't alone in Poland. He was with his family. And not only that, the Polish people he demonized risked their lives to save his family. So how's that for gratitude? And the Poles are getting more and more annoyed at this. And finally, they break through the isolation that has been imposed on because they're Poles and they're for obscure Polish journals that are published out of Chicago and they can't contest anything the New York Times says. So the New York Times comes back and one of the Zulzbergers, or I forget which, the anyway, the Zulzberger click says, we're going to double down. We're going to defend Yeshi Kaczynski. And then the village voice comes out and just blows him out of the water. You know, so it turns out, well, it does matter whether it's true and it's not true. And what you said is not true. And we're all up. And, and he was destroyed because of that. Uh, ended up, left in disgrace and ended up committing suicide. So it turns out it is true. But the press, again, you set these precedents. So he set a precedent for the Holocaust narrative that doesn't have to be true. He made it up, but so what? It was a good story. Well, the narrative you know, matters more than the truth, right? The the narrative determines the truth. Yeah. Not the truth determines the narrative. So as the Italians say, non è vero mai ben trovato. It's not true, but it's a great story. <laughs> so then you have... Then you have a crucial turning point here. Uh, then you got uh, Benjamin Vilkomirsky writes a book called Fragments. Well, first of all, he's not his name. His name is not Benjamin Vilkomirsky. It's Dosiker. He's not a Jew from Latvia. He's a, a, a Catholic from Belgium. Uh, no, he's a Swiss Swiss guy. Okay. Uh, 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 and that blows up because 60 Minutes gets involved and they blow that story out of the water. And then there's Misha and the wolves. Now, there's a really incredible story. She, nine-year-old girl, Jewish girl from Belgium, travels 900 miles across Europe in a pack of wolves to rescue her parents from Auschwitz. What a story. Well, it was crazy. It didn't happen. <laughs> and her name was not Misha Defonesca. It turns out she was a Belgian Catholic. I forget what her name was. Okay. DeVales, DeVales, I think it was. And she made it up because her father uh, was a collaborator and she felt bad about that. So at this point, you establish the fact it doesn't have to be true. If it's the Jew saying it, 
it's true because he's powerful, because truth is the opinion of powerful, and the Holocaust is a really important issue. And so the crucial turning point comes in 1993 when uh, Schindler's List comes out. And, uh, oh, wait a minute. Remember the gas chamber in Schindler's List? You remember what, what it was? A it shower. Was a, it was a shower. It's Actual shower, yeah. It's hot water. It's not gas. He, they Schindler, I'm saying Spielberg became a Holocaust denier with that movie. He denied the, one of the fundamental tenets of the Holocaust, which is the gas chamber. The same year he does that, the um, the uh, Debbie Lipstadt creates the category of mind called Holocaust denial. One year after Schindler does a list, he creates the Shoah Foundation, and he encourages people to come forward and give their testimony. And at this point, hordes of people, 50,000 people show up, and they make no attempt whatsoever to check the accuracy of what they're saying, because truth is the opinion of the powerful. Well, that's, the only, that's not going to last. None of these things are going to last because truth is not the opinion of the powerful. Truth is the correspondence between mind and the thing. And if there's no correspondence between the mind and the thing, it's not real. And that's it. That's the legacy. I'm saying simultaneously, it's the legacy of Roe versus Wade. It's the legacy of the Holocaust narrative. Uh, and uh, these things are going to come, they're going to fall together. It's the legacy of the state of Israel, where you can shoot a journalist, a well-aimed bullet kills the journalist, American citizen. But hey, they have Jewish privilege, so nothing's going to happen to whoever, whatever Israeli killed that, that Palestinian journalist. This is, I'm saying this is all going to fall. Because what my contention is that with Roe versus Wade, the Jews imposed their religion on the entire people of the United States of America. And that has been revoked. And so we no longer have the state religion. And so as a result, we're going to, they are going to lose their power. Will the Holocaust narrative uh, pop the same way, like a bubble? The same way well, that Roe, Ro, I, I mean, I remember Roe was settled law. It was like, it was settled it was law. Settled law. They kept That's saying right. that. They kept repeating settled law, right? Now it's gone. And, it, and now it's not. <laughs> it's not settled law. All those examples, how many examples do I have to give you of the bubble popping here? Yeah. I mean, Yeshi Kaczynski, Binyamin Vilkomirsky, Misha Difoneska, the, the Rosenblatts. Remember the Rosenblatts on uh, Oprah? Mm -hmm. Where he the, the lady throws an apple over the fence every day, you know, and he survives Auschwitz because she's throwing apples over the fence and he bumps into her in Coney Island. They get married. It's a beautiful love story. There wasn't a dry eye in the audience. Oh, but it didn't happen. So what's he say? Well, it was true in my mind. Sorry. Truth is the correspondence between mind and thing. You can't have truth just in your mind. There's one mind in which the thought becomes a reality, and that's the mind of God. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So, um, uh, what you said, you, know, you, you cite, you know, uh, these this, these are literary uh, works, stories, uh, even movies, and that that those are very powerful because evidently most people's perception of history and reality is through uh, these this technology whether it's the novel the movie and it gets reinforced and that's why i guess perhaps 
you know, something like Hollywood has been so important in promoting these things. You mentioned Schindler's List, of course. Most people's idea of the Holocaust is something like Schindler's List or a miniseries or another movie. There's several thousand movies that have been made where either Holocaust is the main story or it's a backdrop or something to, to the story. And so it, it, it's, it's got a, a hold on people's consciousness or, or, or on their mind, burned in, almost like burned into their DNA at this point. And so this is the power of the Holocaust narrative and how it relates to something like abortion because the, the Jews were able to impose abortion on the country because their cultural, political, economic power, which was uh, greatly enhanced by the outcome of the Second World War, of course, and the Holocaust narrative. Is that correct? Yeah, they reinforce each other. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 what comes across is Jewish privilege. Basically, you've created a class of people that are above criticism. Mm -hmm. That's the term anti-Semitism means this group is a group you cannot criticize. The term anti-Semitism is completely meaningless. That's why the ADL likes to use it so much. They use it against anyone who criticizes their behavior. So it, well, it, 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 instead of outlawing anti-Semitism, it actually imposes philo-Semitism. Of course it does. Yeah. It imposes thought control on the population, and it imposes a mechanism whereby you can destroy anyone, anyone. Uh, if you uh, uh, bring up the term anti-Semitism, you're toast. That's it. Uh, and they, they have, they've waged this ruthless battle against the entire country. But again, uh, these things are all narratives, and the narratives come into being, and then they go out of being. And well, I it think was, that that's, that's what's happening. Yeah, this is a conflict, because look at something like, take the United States, for example, and its experience. So obviously, the, um, the migration or immigration of the 19th century, particularly the large inflows of, of Catholics in the 19th century, Irish and German in the 19th century, and then in the 1880s, 1890s, you have the Jews coming in from, from Russia or Eastern Europe. And that has a profound impact on the country. It creates this ethnic conflict in America, which you write about, which is the the Protestant, Catholic, and Jew uh, conflict. This sort of this uh, 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 you know, how the the ethnic mosaic of, of the country. Um, but now, uh, what we've had with the, you know, with the Jews uh, successfully taking control of Hollywood, they were able to. Uh, well, actually, they brag about this. It's Hollywoodism, where Neil Gabler writes about this in Empire of Their Own that it's the Jew shaped idea of Americanism. America. Right. Um, and so now uh, we have a situation well, because of something like the events of the 20th century is that the normal or the historical, I guess you could say, uh, 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 barriers or protections that Christian society would put up to protect themselves against something like an alien population like the Jews are no longer considered, uh, well, acceptable. So now under the myth of liberalism, we, we're not supposed to think that ethnicity matters. Uh, but only problem is it matters a lot to Jews, and they organize in that principle. It only says everyone else, particularly white ethics, can't organize in that principle. So now um, we have this idea in America where, where it's a creedal nation, ideas, the uh, matter of the country, it's it's a civic nationalism. But we have a, a group which organizes ethnically and, and has uh, gained incredible economic, uh, cultural, and political power. And now it's mobilizing against the host population. And we're 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 denied the uh, the grammar uh, and even the consciousness to, to fight back in any meaning, meaningful way. Uh, one institution that may may provide that is perhaps the Catholic Church, and this fifty year battle with regarding abortion, I think, is a an indication of how much power the Catholic Church can have, because although the decision uh, in, in, uh, recently to overturn Roe in, in Dodd and Casey. Uh, 
to overturn uh, Casey and, and Roe. Um, it's a legal decision, but it's backed up by the moral force behind it. I mean, that it mobilized the troops, it kept people on it, it mo- motivated the politics, which, which turned things around on in this decision. And it is an indication of how much uh, uh, potential power something like a Catholic consciousness can have on our society. Would you agree? That's right. That's right. The church never backed down on the abortion issue. You could say they caved in in many ways on the contraception issue, but they never backed down on the abortion issue. But they were weakened as a cultural force, uh, largely because of the Second Vatican Council uh, doctrine on other religions, Nostra Tate, on on the Jews. This this was passed at the end. Um, I have made it's it's in the next issue my review of Zewald's book of uh, biography of Cardinal of Joseph Ratzinger. Uh, I try to make the point that at Vatican II, Ratzinger, as a German who had internalized the commands of his oppressors, namely the Americans and the Jewish social engineers, imposed the Holocaust narrative on the Catholic Church at that time. Uh, uh, The implementation of it was known as Catholic-Jewish dialogue, which made basically the Catholics had to apologize for everything and the Jews never uh, collaborated on anything. This the, the first sign of how this was going to go happened immediately, immediately. I'm talking about 1965, and I'm talking about the bulwark of Catholic uh, resistance to cultural uh, uh, aggression, which was the Legion of Decency and the Production Code, which had reigned Hollywood and the Jews in Hollywood in for 31 years. The movie that broke the code was the pawnbroker, and the pawnbroker was a Holocaust movie, a, a Holocaust porn movie. Uh, this is shows you the power of the Holocaust narrative and how it got weaponized to destroy any type of cultural opposition to Jewish power. This is what happened here. Uh, the 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 uh, the the film broke the code of black. A woman playing a black prostitute uh, exposed her breast. That broke the code. But the Catholics were paralyzed because it was the Holocaust. And we're not allowed to criticize the Holocaust. That was a a terrible thing. And so they used it to break the code. And within years, seven years, you have hardcore pornography on first-run theaters when first-run theaters were significant. And then you had Jews taking over the culture through pornography and all the stuff that I've just been talking about tonight. You know, abortion, pornography, the subversion of sexual morality destroyed an entire generation. I'm writing a review of a book, uh, a memoir, a Catholic woman who wrote the story. That'll be in the next issue, uh, coming upcoming issue of Culture Wars as well. It had a devastating effect because the Christian population uh, of America understood that there was something important about maintaining sexual morality, but they they weren't sophisticated enough to know, first of all, that there was such a thing as social engineering. Secondly, that sexual liberation was one of the crucial weapons in the arsenal of social engineering, and that it was important to maintain these standards. And if you didn't, your culture would would be destroyed. Well, that's what we had to learn the hard way, because no one knew it then. No one understood it. You had to learn that in the expensive school of experience. Yeah. And everything in media is, is dedicated to leading people uh, towards their own destruction, you know, in their lives and, and, of course, and beyond. 
That's sending, right. Sending the hell, whether it's the television or the big silver screen or their little pocket held devices they carry around with them now. And there's no restriction on what can be transmitted to those devices. And regardless yeah. of how young the eyes are, they're looking at it. And how, yeah. how is it How is it that we can uh, uh, ban what the Jews call hate speech, but nobody can ban pornography? Well, the answer is because the Jews control your culture. <laughs> That's why. Mm -hmm. If Catholics controlled your culture, it would be the opposite. Well, even acknowledging the reality of Jewish power is crushed by Jewish. You know, Jewish power prevents you from acknowledging Jewish power. That's right. It's not polite to say that it exists. And That's if you right. do, then Jewish power will, 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 will crush you. That's um, right. Um, and, or, they, or they will try. And I'm saying that the times are changing. And if they haven't crushed me, I mean, believe me, you can't you can survive because they've, they've been waging a campaign against me ever since word got out that I was writing the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. And that is uh, now. 13, 13 years ago. Well, I mean, again, they brag about it. Like you've said it before, they'll brag about it, take credit for it. And, you, and if you turn around and blame them for it, they call you anti-Semite. Right. And you're both admitting the same thing, whether it's pornography or even the overall impact of the culture. Like Neil Gable's book, Empire of Their Own, where he says that a handful of Jews shaped American identity and culture. and where it, So if you're not happy where American culture is today – and they take credit for it. They also have to accept responsibility for it. You know, that's it's, right. That's <laughs> and they right. can't have it both both ways. But I guess they think they can if if you control a public discourse. The main way they control public discourse is, of course, is the accusation of anti-Semitism, which is rapidly losing its sting. People kind of increasingly rolling their eyes at it, which that's again right. is indication that it is that Jewish uh, power is 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 in uh, decline. Is waning. Is waning. waning. Yeah. And the ver the very fact that they have to get draconian and enforce create things like Holocaust denial laws in places like Europe is a sign. You lost the debate. They lost yeah, the yeah debate. those are relatively recent, aren't they? I mean, that was these they, are all in yeah. the wake of uh, 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 the 90s. They are all phenomena of the 90s. We had uh, an example of the case of Father Oko, the Polish priest who. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 wrote a book about the Lavender Mafia. He was accused of racial incitement, Volksverhetzung, by another Catholic priest, a homosexual Catholic priest from uh, Bavaria, Germany. Well, Volksverhetzung, that means, folk means ethno, ethnic group. So homosexuals are an ethnic group now? <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh well, that's what happened. The judge in Germany uh, uh, created a kind of compromise situation. So he upheld the law and basically let Father o Oko off with a slap on the wrist. It didn't resolve the issue, though. No, I mean, that's ridiculous. what you're saying is that traditional Christian or Catholic moral teachings are, are illegal, essentially. Yeah, they're considered racial incit racial yeah. incitement. Go and send no more. Arrest that man. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, that's this is the way this expands. Well, it was in California where they banned repetitive therapy or something because yeah, that's exactly right. Joe Nicolosi's uh, our success in getting homosexuals to give up their lifestyle, uh, their sinful behavior, uh, was banned by the state of California, which proves it was effective and proves that uh, you know they they had to resort to these draconian measures. Well, how does that comport with the First Amendment? Am, am I being naive? Good, good question. <laughs> good question. I mean, does, does confession count as repetitive therapy if you go to Look, confession all this, priest. all this will go down the drain what the operative principle is truth is the opinion of the powerful and that's what we have to contest because mm -hmm. that's the the essence of jewish privilege and what they do is they they they, again, they create a generation of 
psychologically damaged people who can't think clearly about these things. All they want is their sex, their sex. And you have these crazy women, you know, yelling at you. Um, and by that, not just approaches, I'm thinking about like representatives like Anacostia Cortez and Elizabeth Warren. I mean, jeez. Wait, Elizabeth, uh, did you have an abortion? Yeah. Uh, somehow this question never gets asked. You've, this is the demonic nature of the Democratic Party in that they encourage abortion because they know that these silly women will be obsessed with their sins. The guilt will rule their lives and they will go to their graves shouting defiance at the God that, uh, that created the moral law that they transgressed. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not true for everyone. There are women who have abortions who wake up one day and they repent. And they lead, uh, they can go on to lead, uh, you know, lives and be saved, uh, productive lives and be saved, even though you can never bring that child back. That's the story that I'm, uh, I'm going, a book I'm going to be reviewing in the upcoming issue. A woman who did make it back, but uh, I, I mean, full disclosure uh, has to, uh, I have to say that I played a role in that because she couldn't understand uh, how sexual how sexual liberation could be used as a form of control until she read libido dominandi. So the consciousness is rising. Logos is rising. Mm -hmm. And whenever Logos rises, the, the, the people who rejected Logos and crucified the Logos incarnate lose their power. And I think that's the way the tide is going now. So if you want it, abortion as a sacrament, move to New, move to Greenwich Village, but it's not going to be that way in Mississippi. And that's what you're going to see the power is going to go back to the states. It's a win for representative government. Do the Jews in New York really care about uh, people in Mississippi uh, not being able to obtain abortion or have to do it, can't do it after 12 weeks or everything? I mean, even the laws that are being passed are liberal in a, uh, histor in a historical standard because I think prior to Roe v. Wade, 30 states banned abortion outright. I mean, you couldn't get it. And it's, but this is the product, again, of the 50 years of sexual revolution and cultural warfare is the people have been so corrupted in these things and their whole attitude towards sex and sort of the decline of public morality in these things, you know, just public decorum and, and propriety. And this is all a fruit of, of that, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, bitter, bitter fruit. And, and we're seeing that now. So, well, I think we we covered it. Um, uh, I think you, you made the case that you tie in uh, the uh, abortion as a Jewish sacrament to the Holocaust narrative <laughs> and, and how those things are kind of connected to maintaining Jewish power and the Jewish role in promoting all these things. And then they admit it because they're the ones that say, hey, wait a second. It isn't an issue of the first, not the of Fourth Amendment or Fourth Amendment. It isn't a privacy issue, rather, nor is it undue burden. It's a religious right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, okay. <laughs> I finally agree with the ADL. Yeah. Okay. It's a religious right. Wow. Okay. That's not well, going to fly. That's over. That's dead in the water. It's not going anywhere. They blew it. Okay. Mm. The tide's running. First of all, we're not going to allow the Jews to impose their religion on us again explicitly. That's not going to happen. Well, uh, I think what Yuri Stuskind calls the, the 20th century is the Jewish century. And right, and the 20th century is over, in case you haven't noticed. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and they sped it along with the 9-11. So that's, uh, again, the uh, uh, the cunning of reason. So uh, with all the uh, crises they've created, uh, right. these things happen for a reason. 
So that's right. Well, I'm let's. I usually have you for an hour. I think we covered it. So uh, thank you for coming back on the show. I want uh, that's great. Um, of course, that's E. Michael Jones, the editor of Culture Wars Magazine, CultureWars.com. That's where you can get the books that we've mentioned, and of course the the new book coming out hopefully in days. The title again. The dangers of beauty. Um, the battle, uh, the conflict between concupiscence, by, between mimesis <laughs> and concupiscence in the fine arts. Uh, a book on aesthetics, uh, some uh, a neglected part of philosophy that I think needs to be brought back because beauty is a transcendental. Beauty gives you direct access to being, and being is the attribute of God. So even if you're if you're stupid and even if you're immoral, beauty can bring you into the presence of God. Yes, because this is why the modern world wants to accentuate the ugly so much. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll talk soon. And, uh, Thank you, Tim. It's always a pleasure. Good night, then. Bye-bye. One, two, three, four. of a man in his old age are the deeds of a man in his prime You shuffle in the gloom of the sick room and talk to yourself as you die and Life is a short warm moment and death is a long cold rest Get your chance to try in the twinkling of an eye. Eighty years with luck or even less. So all aboard for the American tour, and maybe you'll make it to the top. But mind how you go, and I can tell you, cause I know you may find it hard to get off. Shuffle in the gloom of the sick room and talk to yourself.